and we're back to the podcast. Thanks for joining us. The memorial, it is this week. Of course, we broke all of that down. The matchup just posted it on my site there at Instagram, going head-to-head with a lot of the players. I'll give you some of my picks uh, for the week. One of the guys that uh, was on there, well, he just won there last week. Colin Morikawa wins the Workday Charity Open. What a finish that was. Going head-to-head with Justin Thomas. Great finish. His second win on the PGA Tour. And I thought to myself, you know, we need to learn more about this impressive young player out of Cal. And the guy that probably knows him the best, Rick Sessinghouse. He's been working with him, coaching him over the last, uh, since he was eight years old. Not only uh, as a swing coach, but his mental coach as well. Rick has a doctorate sports technology and is the author of the ultimate mind game and he joins us here now on the stripe show podcast to, to talk about colin morikawa rick thanks for getting up early with me and, and hopping on the pod oh you bet my pleasure thanks for having me well i think uh it's it's safe to say uh, your young man colin morikawa who you've been working with for quite some time uh is taking the pga tour by storm here i mean this is a, a very impressive uh young man who uh got a second win of course at the workday charity open um, they're at Mirfield Village. Of course, they're back again this week. Take us to, to the beginning here when um, you met Colin and, and it all kind of started uh, your guys' relationship back in California. Sure. I know this sounds weird, but I actually do remember the day that we met. Um, it was, uh, again, uh, over 15 years ago. I was teaching at this little golf course in Glendale, California, and at the end of the range, which I typically was at, and uh, this gentleman comes towards me and says, um, oh, uh, Rick, um, uh, my son, I would really like you to look at his swing and see if you would work with him. And uh, so, of course, this was Colin's father. And uh, Colin hit a few balls for me. And uh, yeah, about I would say the first swing I go, yeah, anytime, because <laughs> he, he, <laughs> you already had somebody who had been playing since a very early age. He had taken some group lessons uh, he was starting to play a little bit in some of those little U.S. kids tur- tournaments and having fun. And yeah, you sh- you sh- at, at that age, you see a, a natural talent. OK, and that's great. And so uh, we hit it off. Um, our personalities meshed. And from that point on, I saw him probably once a week uh, through middle school, through high school. And then when he went to Cal, uh, obviously, I didn't see him as much, but we certainly communicated a lot. And uh, then, boom, you, you know, he's on the after four years at Cal, uh, you know, three time, first time All-American. I mean, you know, it, it's been a great, uh, a great journey with him. And so that's how we got started. And we did a lot of our lessons actually on the golf course. Uh, I'm a big believer in playing over, you know, golf swing stuff. Uh, obviously, everybody knows he's a great ball striker and we can certainly talk about that. But my philosophy is more, you got to take it on the golf course. You got to learn all the variables that are out there. You got to make good decisions. You've got to know your game. And so we did that at an early age. We just go on the golf course uh, together. His father would be there and we would hit different shots and I would ask him to, to think through shots. And that's my, again, that's my coaching philosophy through it. And he, he took to it and he really, um, and that's part of what his nature is, is he's a learner and he's open to coaching and, um, and such. So it's been, it's been an awesome journey. You know, when you think of Colin Morikawa, if you ask a fan right now, the first thing that's going to come to mind to them is like, man, that that kid can really strike his golf ball. What a what a beautiful swing, uh, repeatable swing uh, that he has. Talk to us about Colin's swing at a young age, maybe the maturity of it now. Um, 
to he's 23, right? He's 23 years old. How much of this through this journey was natural? You talk about when you first met him, you saw him hit a ball. You're like, wow, was it, was it always this good? Or was it something that you had to kind of, you know, tweak here and there, bring it along? How much was it natural and say how much of it was developed through this process? Well, I'm going to say both. And, and the reason why is that, yes, he had a talent. He, he worked hard. He enjoyed playing. Um, but but what I've, I've told people is that, you know, junior golfers, especially from the age of like 12 to 17, you're going to see a lot of physical changes. And and that will either get in the way of some progress or it could actually help somebody uh, progress forward. And so it's interesting. Everybody now knows him for this fade, but he didn't really develop the fade till he was about 17 or 18 because he, like a lot of juniors, um, they're very, very flexible. Uh, they don't have the same core strength that they do now uh, when they're older. And he probably couldn't have hit a good fade back then. Uh, he would drop the club under plane, have to flip the club face through like a lot of young players do, and he hit a draw. And it wasn't something I was fighting uh, with him other than I didn't want the the draw to become a hook. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And so as we started to get some physical training involved at the age of 15 and he got a little stronger, grew a little bit more, I think it was more of us talking about what shot do you like to see? What shot do you like to feel? And he, as he got older, it progressed more to, you know what, I like that little fade. And so we had to make just a couple adjustments with some plane and path stuff. Uh, he's always kept his club face under control uh, fairly well. Um, I'm a big believer that the hands would stay passive throughout a swing and you would you would use rotation to kind of keep everything square coming through. And so we we had minimal variables, which is always one of my things. He, he has a pretty tight uh, plane pattern back and forth. Um, we now know his best path coming through and he gets great club face control through impact. And so it was a progression. Um, but I, with any player, I've worked with a lot of very good players. It's what does he like to see? What does he like to feel? Uh, because as you saw on the final round, uh, where the pressure was, and I mean, I'll use your, your name, right. It was a stripe show because the guy was <laughs> just, just hitting unbelievable golf shots. Cause he could trust his lines and he could just go for it. And yeah. so that's kind of where it was. There was definitely some time when he was 15, 16, where, I would say he was not as consistent, but a lot of that is physical. You know, a lot of that is growing in your body. A lot of that is just not quite strong enough in the core to be able to do some of the things you want to do. And, um, you know, he, he's had some support with fitness trainers and stuff like that. And, and now we obviously were in a great spot. And it's been like that for about at least four years where we feel like, hey, this is the swing we know um, is repeatable that can hold up under pressure. And but more importantly, that he feels and that he likes the look of what the shot is right i mean that's part of commitment to a shot so all of that coming together there was development involved um certainly but uh, we had to kind of think through different stages uh kind of of his 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 golf maturity yeah you know i i i watched a, a video on youtube with um you and colin it was it was really good and and one of the statements that that you made that i found very interesting was that you never use a launch monitor with him until college, right? Was it, <laughs> was the tech, was the, was the, uh, you know, the technology, which is, you know, it can be a little overwhelming these days. Um, was that something that was kind of maybe in the distance a little bit? Cause you mentioned like you, that you like to do most of your stuff on the golf course. Is that, is that true? Like a launch monitor kind of came late, late high school into college for him. 
Uh, no question. Yeah. I, and again, I, I am not uh, by any means against uh, any of the launch monitors or in 3D vests or um, force play technology. I, I feel like I have a pretty good grasp of what those things do. Um, but I, I'm, again, back to how do you take it to the golf course? Um, you're going to have different lies. You're going to have different conditions. You're going to have to hit three quarter shots. You're going to have to understand these things. And I don't think if we get locked into let's do a launch monitor session and make sure our path numbers are this and that. I think they can get that get us down into too regimented of a, of a role where people are looking at numbers instead of results. Um, so believe me, I, I, I can read a ball flight and I can see what his ball is doing to know what his path and club face are doing. Right. Um, and yet he, he, he owns a track man now. Well, what do we use it for? We use it for distance control. We use it for him to understand what his uh, wedge distances are going to. Um, when I was in uh, Vegas with him the week before uh, Colonial, we certainly looked at some some path numbers. We certainly looked to, to make sure that we were going in the right because he had such a long break. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, so we don't rely on him. I mean, we didn't rely on it at the workday when I was out there with him. He never brought track, track man out. So um, that's how what's worked for us. Um, if I have any questions, uh, then we certainly look at some of the information, but, uh, I know his golf swing and I know his ball flight and he does too. We, we kind of know why things are doing what they're doing. I just want to interrupt this interview real quick and give a shout out to my friends over at Encore Golf. Encore provides some of the most cutting edge technology in a golf ball that I have ever seen. Their team in Buffalo, New York is changing the script of golf technology through their perimeter-weighted designs, which offer players enhanced accuracy and control for every shot on the course. With their award-winning Elixir and Avant 55 golf balls, they are transforming the game for players of all skill levels. Visit EncoreGolf.com backslash Travis Fulton for more details about their products that are revolutionizing the game. Now back to the Stripe Show. Is it is it fair to say with with Colin that he he's more prepared mentally to play and succeed on the PGA Tour than he is technically? And I say that knowing that technically we know he's 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 incredible. I mean, he's a ball striking machine. He's number one in strokes gain approach. But, you know, when I hear Colin speak and he comes across to me. You know, he's very well-spoken. He's very articulate. He's obviously uh, mature beyond his age of 23. He's, he seems to be very comfortable in his skin. Um, you know, there's, there's a sense of um, peace and clarity that kind of just, you know, you can, you can just see it coming from him. And uh, you don't see that a lot. Things, I think, can, can move very quickly for a young person out there on the PGA Tour. They're exposed to so many things. But he just strikes me as more prepared mentally than anything else. Is that is that fair to say? I would say so. I mean, I'll, I'll go back to the like the skill sets. Is that it's interesting going now a full year with with the tour and uh, yeah, we now know there's certain shots we still want to develop. There's certain things with short game we still want to refine. Um, yet mentally, uh, I believe he was ready to rock and roll. Um, and and there's many many reasons for that. And I, I think. One, he's just a fine young man who is mature, who is grounded. You use the word clarity. I think that's a perfect one for him. He, he comes from a, a wonderful family. His parents have been supportive, have, you know, have not been involved too much of telling me what to do with him and stuff like that. They've had reasonable expectations throughout there. So there's a lot of things that set up. And then when he turns pro, he, he has just a, a fantastic um, 
management company with Excel and Andrew Kipper is his manager. I mean, we put together a pretty good team. And I think you then throw that into the mix with, with his caddy, caddy JJ, who is unbelievable. And you, you keep, you keep cultivating what is already within him, which, you know, we've had a plan from an early age of, of reaching some of these goals. And I think, again, this is because of my background in cultivating something that's already within him is, you got to go play golf and you got to be able to be comfortable. And uh, that's a word he uses a lot. I have to be comfortable out there. And he's done that with Walker cups and he's done that through, you know, uh, being a, an all American and now going on the PGA tour. So we felt we were going in the right uh, direction, but you don't know until somebody's out there. And um, I think part of it is we are constantly learning. I think you'll hear that a lot of in his interviews. He's always talking about learning. Uh, we can call that growth mindset if we want to get real psychological about it, but he's, he's willing to learn. He's willing to make mistakes also uh, because he knows, Hey, I'm just going to get better from it. So we've done that from an early age. And a lot of that was instilled into him with parents and stuff. So it's, it's been, it's a joy as a coach to have somebody who doesn't make excuses, who just goes out there and takes responsibility for their uh, results and wants to learn to get better. Yeah. I heard you tell the story about when he was younger and he played in the wind and he realized that his like he didn't have the game to play in the wind. And when you guys talked about it, he said, I need to get I learned that I need to, to learn how to play better into the wind rather than using the wind as an excuse yeah. for playing poorly, you know, which we hear a lot. You know, I would have played good, but it was windy. <laughs> and for if for him, it was I need to learn how to play in the wind better. And right. that's part of that growth mindset. Let me ask you this. Because I, I know you you like your players to report back with, you know, what did you learn today? And if it's good or bad, what did you learn? You know, and in in, in sure. your experience on the golf course, what, what do you think Colin learned? Let's go back to the Schwab. He's in the playoff with Daniel Berger. He misses the short putt uh, to loot. What, what do you think he learned from that moment at the Schwab? Um, well, let me backtrack 30 minutes before that, right? So he's now on the okay. final, the final 72nd hole, and uh, he got a, a little fortunate with how the drive came through the trees and stuff like that. And then he has this this shot that you know he, he wants to stick to make birdie, and you could hear him in, in JJ's caddy talk through the shot, and you could see he was committed, and he had a great golf shot in there. And so at that time, you know, you saw somebody who when he needed to hit a full swing shot, he hit a great shot. And then the putt, he felt he made a good putt. So first off it's, we did learn that, Hey, down that when he needed a, a real good full swing, it happened. He felt he hit a good putt now. So we talk about the positives of that. And then we talk about, okay, you're in a playoff now for the first time in, in a PGA tour event. And I feel what he learned. Uh, and he even said it after this uh, particular with the work day is Maybe he wasn't quite as comfortable. Maybe he was a little ahead of himself. Maybe he was just a little bit quicker. Um, and you saw that with his first swing. He got back to an old um, uh, swing flaw. Uh, you saw that with a little bit with the, the three-foot putt. Um, so everything got a little quicker. Well, that happens in stress and pressure. And so he now goes, okay, I now need to do something about that when I have that feeling. And we've certainly talked about that. And he said that now in this playoff, the first hole with – with Justin, he maybe wasn't perfectly comfortable, but he said second hole he was. And so now we know mm -hmm. we've, we've, we're getting better at that. We're getting better at that. And a lot of that is as the, in, as the player to read their internal signals of what, how am I feeling? What's going on? Where's my mind racing? Where's my attention going? And um, so we talk about those things. We got 
you know, it's a little cliche, right? One shot at a time, but we have to pay attention to the present moment and what is relevant for that moment. And um, I think at times it's easy in this game to get ahead of ourselves or to take something for granted and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, so he learned a lot um, and you saw that he applied it, you know, and that doesn't doesn't mm-hmm. always mean he's going to win the next time, but it does mean that his processes were better. So he did learn and he did apply it. So it was, you know, again, uh, as disappointed as he was, which he was, we mm-hmm. were able to turn the page qu- quite quickly because there were so many positives from that week. Uh, coming out of a quarantine and all those times. I mean, it was, uh, it was a great performance yet. It wasn't, it yeah. wasn't the outcome he wanted at the end. Um, and that's how we have to try to uh, separate the two, because I think it's easy to, to look at an outcome and then just start beating ourselves up and say, wait, 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 there's a big picture here that we, we also have to, to, to learn from. Yeah. The transparency is, it, it's, it's great. I mean, to, to listen to these young guys articulate and be so transparent and honest and, you know, a bit vulnerable, even, you know, in the press. And, and you know, he's talking about, yeah, I wasn't that comfortable in the first, but I was in the second. He, you know, he's just, he's, he's letting us in. And he kind of reminds me of Jordan Spieth a little bit when he came out, um, you know, from Texas. And of course, he was playing so well. And, and the transparency with Jordan and the clarity that he spoke and, we hear it with Justin Thomas. I think we hear it with um, Victor Hovland. I mean, they're just, you know, they're very open. I mean, how, how do you, do you think that's important? It just feels this generation here, um, you know, obviously they're very prepared to come out and win at an early age. They're not scared. They're very competitive. Um, but there's a level of transparency there with this era of players as well. How, how, do you, how do you view that? I think it depends on the player, to be honest with you. Um, I think a lot has to do with their confidence level. Uh, you mentioned you know, four players there that are all extremely confident. And um, so them admitting that, hey, it didn't go my way. I didn't exactly put It's not going to affect their confidence. I think other people, if they now say that publicly – will erode some of their confidence and they're now admitting that, oh, maybe I'm not as good as I think. That's never the issue with Colin because he has a confidence about him um, and he doesn't look at the failure as as an identity type of a thing. It's like, hey, in that moment, that happened. It's like a data point with a computer. Oh, that didn't happen. Oh, I need to change the program next time. Boom. And so you don't internalize it as much. So you can be open and say, hey, you know what? I wasn't comfortable. And it's not going to affect his confidence. There are going to be some young players and even I would say some some more seasoned professionals that if they admit it, they think that that's a that's a a character flaw flaw in a way. So it depends on the player. Mm -hmm. Take us. Let's go back to the Schwab a minute. Um, So he finished his second there, loses to Daniel Berger. And then, you know, he goes to the the RBC, finishes T-64, misses the cut at the Travelers little uncharacteristic like for him i I think he he lost strokes off the tee in both of those tournaments which i was looking at his entire career to this point which is obviously a very small sample size but he's only lost strokes to the field ball striking four times in his career and that was two of the week so the two following um down at the colonial little uncharacteristic like he takes detroit off the week before Workday, and he comes and works with you. Can you? What can you share with us on on how that week went? Um, where he shows up, misses the cut at the Travelers, and now is you know what 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 was addressed during that time leading into the workday? 
Sure. And, and I think this is this is how our relationship colonized. We, we never panic. We never, oh, my God, what's going on? We, again, just look at it. So you see data points that, hey, ball striking wasn't very good. We look at what the ball flight was doing. A lot of shots were short right. We then go, OK, we've got a pattern again. Um, and sometimes, Colin, and, and this is I look at it as a positive, but sometimes it gets him down the wrong road. He's a creative player and he likes to cut the ball. And then sometimes the cut becomes more than a cut. <laughs> and uh, and and so when he starts to see shots and think he has to hit more and more of a cut, uh, that does bleed into some mechanical issues. And mm-hmm. so I think I think we weren't as of honestly with with RBC. I don't think we were as concerned. Um, there was some stuff there that. Uh, he felt he just didn't adjust to very well, but, um, he said Tuesday of the travelers, he was ready to go. And so, Hey, as a coach, I trust that. And he just didn't perform. But I think afterwards talking to him, talking to JJ, we started to see some of those old patterns coming in where he was trying to overcut balls. And then you saw some weak rights and you saw him missing and, and now a wedge was going to 25 feet instead of 13 feet. And you started seeing that happening. So he had a week off, which was great for him. Uh, that was always the plan anyways. Um, and we did some stuff, you know, through FaceTime and just to kind of look at things. And then I, I was at the work day and we refined more and more. And then the day, the Wednesday uh, before the first round, the practice round was okay. I wouldn't say he thought it was perfect. We went to the range and we got into a little bit of some, some swing plane issues and some rotation stuff. Because um, when he wants to overcut it, he gets a little disconnected on the backswing. And then he has to reroute a little bit too much on the way down to try to save it. And then you have a push fade instead of a ball starts a little bit left and then bleeds back. So we made a couple corrections and he was super excited um, after that range session. And it was all for us. It's always simple stuff. Um, And then he obviously took that feel throughout the week. I mean, Thursday, Friday, Mm -hmm. I mean, Thursday, it was just I was staying. I was walking that entire round. It was just. It was awesome. He's complete control. Um, and then Saturday maybe was not his best, but again, he stayed in the, he stayed in the tournament and then he knew what he needed to do on the final round and he performed it. Yeah. I heard uh, Billy Kratzert on golf channel, someone who I'm pretty good friends with there in Florida, make the statement that, you know, Colin is the best iron player that he has seen since Tiger Woods, which is yeah, <laughs> just an incredible right. statement. Right, exactly. Uh, because we know how polished Tiger Woods was uh, with not just his iron game. You know, speaking of, um, you know, the mental side of the game, but, um, you know, I thought that was a, a, a great statement. And gosh, as, as his coach, when he gets it going, I mean, it just has to be incredible to sit there and watch him, you know, just hit shot after shot after shot, <laughs> just with absolute um, perfection. I mean, he's a guy that, you know, hopefully when fans come back next year, you have to go watch him hit. I mean, you right. have to stand there and, and watch him hit golf balls because you're watching one of the premier ball strikers uh, in the world. If you could just the, 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 just going back to what you said, his arms get a little disconnected going back. Cause with my audience, you know, they, they like, they like to understand, you know, what these players work on and, and why, and, and, and disconnection is that, like the arms kind of run away a little bit. They don't, they don't go around him as much in the backswing. You know, what, what happens there? Yeah, exactly. So if we look at his left arm plane, as it goes back, uh, if it starts to go further away from him and then it goes more up his chest and his hands are now more, um, um, this is an exaggeration, but uh, above his neck, for instance, at the top of the swing, Mm -hmm. uh, he's in a steeper position. 
Now he can come back down that steep position and hit pulls and big old pull fades, or he can try to reroute it on the way down to get more neutral plane, which for him then causes a push fade. Well, push fade doesn't help us because it starts right at target and keeps going to the right. So you may have noticed, and even Nick Faldo noticed it on the telecast, is that in practice swings, he would tuck underneath his left um, uh, armpit, um, his his bicep, and he would feel, feel like the shirt was tucked in there. And so he felt, mm-hmm. a, uh, felt a connection between his left uh, uh, bicep and his chest. And he would do a practice swing keeping that connection. So that was a simple feel. Um, he's shown this on videos too, where he puts a glove underneath his left arm. And that's a similar drill, obviously, is to feel that that piece, that left arm and chest works as one piece as you take it away. And then the top of the swing, you're making sure that you are turning. He sometimes doesn't finish his turn, which now you have a steep, not finished turn. You have a very weak position to come from. And so that was stage one. And then stage two was actually quite simple for him is just to make sure he rotates his hips through the target as a field player. Sometimes they stall a little bit and that creates a block. So it's, it's pretty simple stuff. Stay connected and stay connected and rotate, you know? And Mm -hmm. um, when he does that, he trusts his line and you obviously some, see some great ball striking. Yeah. I think it's, it's a good point just for the listeners too. And that like sometimes when, they think cut or a fade, they, they think that they have to take the club outside going back and get the left arm exactly. going out, you know, and then swing left. And it's like, no, you still have to get the arm to work around you, you know, and create depth and then, you know, rotate from there. Correct. So um, when you let's a couple, just two more questions for you. I know you're a, a very busy man there in uh, <laughs> the uh, greater LA area yes. and, you know, two wins now on the PGA tour. He's up to 13th now in the official world golf ranking is Colin Morikawa. As his coach, how do you balance now, you know, what kind of process do you go through balancing the success Colin is having with continuing to grow him as a player? You know, when you look at the opportunities, as you mentioned, with the short game or putting, how do you kind of balance that out now with, the success that he's having. Well, I, I mean, I think, and this has been our kind of our motto for several years is, you know, I talked to him last night uh, and we literally went over the entire final round. We went over things, we look at stats and then we have that conversation and then we move on to, okay, well, how is this course this week going to change? How are the green speeds? And, and it's, it's always about moving forward with taking what we've learned. Now, we also have at our disposal, um, you know, obviously he's with TaylorMade and, and I'm part of the TaylorMade team also. And we get analytics from them and we get help from them um, with course plans and stuff like that. And so it, it, we can't shy away from the data. And if, if we have a week that says wedge play wasn't this, okay, we got to now work on that. We got, and so I think we don't get it. We got another week of great competition and, 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 and such. Um, but I think what's gonna the, the thing that people need to understand is that um, you know he doesn't have any doesn't take any hands on is that him and I have goals. Uh, we can certainly adjust the goals, but you know he's getting a lot of attention now. This is fantastic. Um, it's not yeah. going to change how he views his game. It's not going to change how I view his game. Uh, we know that there's little things to keep improving, but there's so much to celebrate, and let's. 
I'm a big believer in kind of a recipe for success. What are the ingredients that led to just an unbelievable final round? And how do we make those ingredients show up more often? Um, yeah. So it's, it's, it's a balancing yeah. act of that. And he constantly, constantly wants to learn and improve. And so we, yes, we have goals, but I, I think the challenge maybe for some other players is they start to wrap into expectations of other people, or I have to be this way. And, and Colin's not going to go into that. Yeah. He's, you know, statistically stroke skate off the tee. He's 23rd stroke skate approach. He's first, which is, you know, a, a, such a critical statistic on the PGA tour strokes hand around the green. He's 122nd strokes hand putting. He's 150th. It, it appears Colin is more comfortable on bent grass greens putting. How much, how much is into learning all of the different surfaces on the PGA tour as well? Because he's obviously learning these courses. He just played Mirfield for the very first right. time, you know, last week. So he seems to be more comfortable on, bent grass is from a putting standpoint, even uh, at least statistically, is that you kind of equate that just to, you know, learning all of the surfaces and, you know, learning kind of the subtleties that, that might go into um, improving upon a statistic, as I mentioned in putting. Uh, no question. I mean, he, he grew up in the LA area and we have bent POA here and, um, and he went to Cal and that's, up Northern California, that's Bent Poa. Um, so yeah, there's a part of that. And I think as we now look at the full year and we get all the stats from every week and we can look at, hey, when we was in Florida, what was happening? And um, I, I, I agree to a point on that um, and getting comfortable with that. And I'm going to go back to, you know, his caddy, JJ, who's been fantastic with our preparation is, you know, they went, played in Asia, you know, and they played, you know, he's now played all over the world as a professional mm -hmm. and you have to try to shrink that learning curve as quickly as possible Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And I think we're getting better and better at that. Um, and I would even take it a step further that even with his short game chipping, it's not a lot technical, to be honest with you. It's a lot of getting used to the different grasses and the different rough conditions and the different types of shots you're going to need that. And I think he's getting better at that, too. So I think we're yes, being comfortable on different surfaces is going to be part of it. I think we've changed a little bit of his prep work of how to read greens. And, and so it's all, it's all moving forward. Um, but yeah. there's a lot to learn, isn't there? <laughs> yeah, there really is. And I, I think you, you know, just listening to you talk, I mean, you, you're very, you know, optimistic and, and positive and speak with such clarity that, you know, you can, you can see where you and Colin are such a great team and it's, you know, it's, it's not a, there's no really, you know, sense of, um, you know, there's urgency, but it doesn't feel like, you know, just let it come to you as it, as it comes, right? Like you, there's something, there's something to learn, you know, every single week right. and you have strengths, you have weaknesses, that's never going to change, but you just, we don't have to learn it all today, right? You don't have to be an expert in first in every single category today. Just let it come to you learn as you go and these surfaces you'll get more comfortable with and it's a very dynamic and complex game and it just you know pga tour players are so good at the adaptability and managing the variables but as good as they are and as great as they are there's there's always still opportunity right and i think you can you can maybe get the expectations out of line and that's when things get a little bit cluttered right and, and i would you know take that a step further as i think We've had a plan for a while. I mean, even through his, let's say, 
when he was a junior in college and we knew he's obviously going to turn pro when he graduates, we set a plan for what do we do this final year and in college. And you certainly want to play well, but you're preparing for making a transition on the PGA tour. So we have to talk about equipment. We have to talk about uh, different things with agents. I mean, there's a lot of stuff you prep for. And I think what we've learned, and I think we've done quite a good job is, is try to keep everything flowing in the same direction. I think a lot of young players think that, oh, uh, and they may be awesome college players and then they go to pro and they think they need to change something. They think they need to, oh my God, I got to do this. I got to do this. I got to change coaches. I got to do this. And I got to change equipment. uh, And it's a train wreck. And if you really trust what your plan is, then you just say, okay, what's our next step? What are we doing? And I think that's where, like I said, we've never, ever, 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 like a, a miscut, no big deal. I mean, that's going to happen. Right. So there's yeah. no, there's never a panic of anything, yeah. but I think some young players um, will panic and then they're looking for changing and they're looking for quick fixes. And then, and then they're get further away from what made them a really good player in the first place. And I think that's part of what we've already identified. We know what makes him tick. We know what his best golf swing looks like. We know what his best sight lines are. And, and you just keep reinforcing that and you make some small tweaks here and there. And yes, week to week, there's going to be different grasses, different setups, different, yeah. And that's the cool part of the coach too, <laughs> yeah, is, is, yeah. is, is being able to look at those different variables and saying, Hey, how are we going to, um, how are we going to perform with these now, these new variables? And he's so open to learning and stuff like that. So it's, yeah. it's a fun journey, but I think it's, it's, it's certainly committing to a plan and trusting your plan that is at the, the core of it. Last question. You look ahead now, uh, two wins, as I mentioned, uh, really the golf season ahead of him, right? It's yes, everything. Yes push back so late um three major championships coming up uh the race to the fedex cup so much so much big golf is ahead of him here this year what what goals can you share that you guys have set that are out there um for the 2020 season here well i mean it's going to be kind of a pat answer i'm going to give you but he wants to be in contention every single week and so if you if you look forward too much like hey i want to do this do that um, I think what we're excited about it that most people would be is, you know, he's only played in one major. He played in the U.S. Open at Pebble Beach. And then because of with COVID and everything like that, we, there hasn't been another opportunity to play in one. Right. So I, I think that's going to be fun for both of us is to uh, now be at the PGA and then uh, the U.S. Open and then the Masters and saying, you know, do we need to prepare differently for majors or not? Um, and I think our our first answer, to be honest with you, is no because it's a, another week that we want to contend at, period. And um, there might be different um, pressures. There may be different expectations. Okay, that's fine, but that's irrelevant to how we're going to uh, prepare. And so that's, I think, what we're both looking forward to is going through the schedule and knowing what worked last week at Workday. Um, can we, what can we pull from that that's going to apply to every single week and what adjustments? Um, so I don't, I, I can't necessarily give you a specific goal like, hey, he wants to win this, win that. It's about being in contention in that final day and putting mm-hmm. ourselves in that position. And he's done obviously a great job with that. And now it's a matter of week to week. Um, that's why I said preparation with his caddy and with, we have tailor made. We have all this thing that we try to put together a team and say, okay, this week, what do we need to do? And yep. he's very, very good at staying very present for that particular event. 
We have another full weekend of golf ahead of us, and even though the trophy is reserved for the winner, the big cash prizes don't have to be. To add to the excitement, DraftKings, the leader in daily fantasy sports, is putting you in the center of the action with a free shot at a $1 million top prize with your first deposit. It's easy to play. Just pick six golfers, stand on the salary cap, and submit your lineup before the tournament tees off Thursday. Then sit back and follow the action. The more red numbers they have on the leaderboard, the closer you'll be to winning some green. Rack up the points for pars, birdies, finishing position, and more. Even though you may not be able to hit the course, DraftKings is giving you the opportunity to scratch your competitive itch and reign supreme. Download the DraftKings app now and use promo code TRAVIS during the sign-up. This week, DraftKings is putting you in the action with a free shot at a $1 million top prize. That's code TRAVIS and you get a free shot at a $1 million top prize only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Well, I appreciate your time, Rick. Congratulations on um, all the success you've had there with Thank Colin you. Morikawa. And um, it's going to be fun to watch. He's, uh, he, he's an exciting young player. He's very refreshing to listen to um, in the press room. And uh, golf's in a, in a great spot with young players like Colin. And I uh, wish you the best of luck. Thank you so much. This season. And, and hey, maybe back-to-back at Mirfield, that'd be the first time in PGA Tour history, I would believe. <laughs> two weeks, two wins on the same golf course. Why not? That's right. Oh, I really appreciate the opportunity to share. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Have a great day. You too.